Well, here we are under the escalators again at the Cornhusker Marriott, and we are joined by Gary Gilley, the founder of Think on These Things Ministries, uh, pastor of... Southern View Chapel. Southern View Chapel in... Springfield, Illinois. Springfield, the capital of Illinois. It's the capital. And uh, the website is tottministries.org. Think on these things, tottministries.org. And Gary, why don't we open up with just you telling us a little bit about your background and how you got into this website, which would you call a discernment uh, ministries yeah, website? that would be good, yes. Uh, well, I've been a pastor for 48 years, but the... Uh, the website started maybe 25 years ago, or not the website, but the ministry, when a, a mission organization asked me to start writing some papers monthly maybe to give their missionaries insights into what was going on in America. Now, that was back before Internet. So uh, they were coming home from the mission field. They didn't know what was going on. They were getting blindsided in their churches. And uh, so they asked me if I could just, you know, write a little paper. So I started writing this paper about once a month, a one-page paper at first. And it started to expand. My, uh, I started writing longer papers on more issues. And then uh, peop- other people started warning it, other mission organizations and churches and individuals. And it grew to several thousand uh, people, maybe a couple thousand people that were getting it every month. And then uh, eventually I started adding book reviews to that uh, writing. So we have about 800 book reviews on our uh, website that deals with uh, both good and bad books, mostly Christian books. Uh, but uh, books that are pertinent today, and so those book reviews are there, and, and articles that I've written is what are there as well. So it's been a kind of a discernment ministry. I deal sometimes with uh, current trends like uh, critical race theory. Uh, other times I'm dealing with uh, doctrinal issues uh, such as uh, uh, limited atonement and, and the discussions going on there, or redemptive hermeneutics. Just so it, you know, whatever I'm into right now. The Enneagram is something I've written on recently. So it depends on uh, what I'm studying and what's going on, but those type of things. Yeah, and I really appreciate the mission. I, I get the emails from the for the articles and the book yeah. reviews and things, and it's been really helpful. And I really appreciate you even reading the books that people aren't really necessarily excited to read, yeah. but we need to be informed about. Right. And I'm sure, I'm sure sometimes it's a challenge to kind of slog through some of those things. Yeah. But it's necessary. I mean, can you just speak yeah. to the ne- to the necessity of, of really understanding the what these authors are saying mm-hmm. as it relates to it? I mean, it's a variety of issues that you've written o- over the years, but really getting it from the horse's mouth and, and understanding the original source material on some yeah, things. Yeah, I think it's real important that we uh, go to the original sources because a lot of times people will believe things or write things or whatever that they're getting that second secondhand stuff. So they're, they're reading somebody's book who read somebody else's book who said this. It may or may not be in context, and that's not fair to, to them, not fair to, to me. So I want to read the original sources, what are they really saying, and then uh, critique that. Uh, my book reviews and, and a lot of the articles uh, will we'll look at issues uh, in those books that some of it might be very good. And so I will try to highlight the good features of those books. Uh, but I'm trying to look from a, every one of my book reviews is coming from the angle, does this come from Scripture? It Does it emerge from Scripture? So I'm going to, to look at that book, that book on that basis and say, yes, this has some really good features, but here are a number of things out of context, another th- a number of things that went beyond Scripture or whatever, and just try to critique it from that angle. So I want to give... Uh, readers a, a perspective 
from somebody with a conservative theological viewpoint, and they may not agree with it when they read it themselves, but a lot of people are very happy to get those kind of reviews. They don't, sometimes they don't, simply don't, don't have to read a book because they've read something, I don't want to do that, or they might be attracted. So every year I put out, or every couple of years I put out a, an article on the books that I've read the last two years or so that I think are really good. So I've just put, I'm putting one out next month on about, about 40 books that I've read the last two and a half years that I think are worth reading. They're not all perfect, but they're worth reading. And people can read a, a synopsis, maybe uh, go into that and pick up some good literature. When it comes to movements and trends that you cover, mm-hmm. how, how do you know what's going on out there? Is it because you try to keep your finger on the pulse of the Christian culture? Is this stuff coming up in your church? Um, how, do you, how do you decide what you're going to write about, and how do you stay aware of these things? Yeah, I'm reading various blogs and, and things that come across my way that, that are, sh- are telling me that something's happening. I get a lot, because I have so many people that have read my stuff now, I get a lot of people that write in and say, have you heard about this author? Have you heard about this movement? And if it's something uh, that I think is getting into the church, uh, I want to look into it. Uh, so it's, It could come from my own people, but often it doesn't. And often it's, it's something from somebody else. So I'm not looking at every little trend because there's so there are hundreds of trends, but things that are catching traction in our church communities, our especially uh, conservative communities, I, I want to look at those. But one of the things I try to do is be ahead of my people. Uh, I want to get invested in these things before they're invested in them. So what I've what I've learned, I think you mentioned this today when we were at our seminar is that once people get invested, once they get emotionally attached to any issue, any ism, it is very difficult to shake them. It's hard. It, they, they get back their backs up. They, they think you're being critical. But if I can get to them with truth before they get invested, uh, I can speak to them. So I want to be ahead of the curve with my people as much as possible before they get sucked into something that could be detrimental to them. And speaking of that seminar, um, we just got out of a seminar that you led on critical race theory for about an hour and a half. We we're discussing that issue. As I've been walking around Lincoln here, I just saw today in a couple of different businesses the same sign. I don't know if the city's making them or who's making them, uh, but it says something like, We stand for justice and unity. Um, of course, probably coming from a CRT worldview, uh, certainly not a biblical worldview. Uh, they wouldn't be in business anymore if that was the case. And so um, how has, because I, I think now the questions are how, not if, how has the CRT worldview, perspective, philosophy, whatever we want to call it, how has that affected your neck of the woods? Think of the Springfield, Illinois area. In what ways has it been popping up um, in your community? We haven't been affected as much as some, but we are the capital city of Illinois. So there's a lot of the of the, the schools, the politicians, and so forth. They're making decisions based upon what they're learning about CRT. And the fact is that most people don't know much at all about CRT. It's uh, it's been around in the academy for decades, but uh, so the the people at the universities and and lawyers and so forth have heard of this. They know something about it, but the average person doesn't, and the average politician doesn't. The average school teacher doesn't. So all this is popping up, 
and they're just learning as they go. And as they're as they're doing that, first of all, they jump on it because you know we want to be fair, we don't want to be racist, and it sounds up front like we're trying to help out with that situation. But now they're learning what it really is, and uh, I think the coverage's been blown a little bit. People are starting to see with the the real essence mm-hmm. of the cultural Marxism behind CRT. And I think an awful lot of people, even those that are be more, more on the liberal progressive side, are saying, mm, "Not so fast. We're we're moving into territory that doesn't make sense, and isn't going to solve any problems." So when Robin D'Angelo wrote her book, *A White Fidelity*, uh, which has become the Bible of the movement right now, the most popular work, uh, she basically said uh, there are no real races to speak of; it's just a structure. And then she, in essence, said, there's no way to fix this. Uh, there, there's really no way forward. Well, that's a pretty bad message. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do? How, do you? how do you actually change something where there's no way forward? So uh, I think people are getting frustrated. Uh, they don't, they're starting to learn, but they don't know what to do. They don't want to be against it because this is the cutting-edge stuff. And if you stand against CRT, somehow you're, you know, you're against progress. You're not woke. And, uh, and that doesn't fly well. As a matter of fact, you can be canceled in a lot of circles as a result of that. So that it's a dangerous time for them. But I think people are starting to see a little bit about the truth here. So some of my personal interactions that I've had with some people about some of these issues, like you mentioned, most people don't know the in-depths of CRT and uh, where a lot of the ideology has come from and, and all the ins and outs of it. But they're drawn to the movement because of... A, a perception of oppression of where okay this you know there's this community that's been kept down and think that that's wrong and they want to do something about it and so they there's oh here's a system that's that's trying to do something about it and so they jump on board with that and i see that and i actually think that there's some there's some hidden apologetic opportunities embedded within this movement right now where we have opportunities to speak truth and speak the gospel into a scenario where Okay, individuals that maybe not they don't understand all the ins and outs of CRT, but they are embracing this because they perceive that it will be a net positive for bringing about the equality of outcome and, and all of those things. And we can look at that and say, well, why, why is it important that there's equality? Why is that? Well, you know, we're made in the image of God, you know, and, and we can we can see that there there's there's actually things in there that we can get to and get to the gospel. Have you noticed anything like that where as as you've been interacting with CRT, yeah, we get focused on the the academic side of it and it can get pretty heady pretty quick. But opportunities where we can actually go in and say, "Well, I see you're trying to address this problem. Let's talk about how the gospel actually addresses that." I haven't seen a whole lot of that yet to be honest. We're we're still only about a year or so into this. Mm. And I think uh, the, the emotions are still high. And as a result of that, there's a, there's a lot of pushback whenever you try to uh, challenge this. So right now, in the last year, you know, we're, we're in the IFCA, at the IFCA convention right now, and we're, uh, we're addressing some of these issues. When it first started coming out about a year ago, we talked about, the leadership did, what can we do to address it and state where we are. And uh, it's taken a year to get there. And this year we've, we've made a resolution and we talked about it and so forth. But uh, in that year, a lot of books have come out, a lot of podcasts, a lot of discussion on all sides have come out. Now, we were fairly ignorant 
of a lot of things until more recently, and I think we're just catching up now. Uh, in my view right now, I've read a lot of books, over 20 books on this issue, and in my view, it's uh, getting saturated. There's not a lot more that could be said. Uh, I'm pretty much backing off now reading too many more books on this. I don't want to really read any more, although Owen Strand just came out with one. I might I might go ahead and read his. I like his I imagine there's only so much you can stomach before it's just like, okay, enough. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, how many times can you say the same thing? Uh, And in my view, the the solution is is fairly simple uh, on how to how we should address this and deal with it. And that's a biblical position where uh, let's go back. Let's start with Scripture. Let's not start with CRT or postmodernism. Let's start with Scripture. How does Scripture tell us to think? and to structure our lives and to to proclaim the message what is our message and what is our mission and i don't think there's a lot of questions on what that is even even though we might have different uh theological stripes uh, the big picture is there in the in the conservative circles and if we go back with scripture if we start with scripture i don't think we uh we, we have a lot of wiggle room there, there it's pretty straightforward so this movement, uh, what it has done and will continue to do is give us uh, perhaps an, uh, a preparation. I, I think a preparation for the future. We are at pivotal times. And I think uh, this might be the warning shot before a lot worse things could come and for the church. Now, we may be facing, facing persecution and other things. So I think uh, this is a good warning shot for us to be prepared. How will our church churches... Uh, function if we come under persecution and, and resistance? How will we personally function? I don't think we've really thought deeply about that uh, until more recently, and we're just now starting to think about it. As a local church pastor, in addition to your ministry and addressing some of the broader church issues, have you found there to be common denominators in all of this, uh, you know, year after year, trend after trend, movement after movement? Uh, you know, imagine you're speaking to just some other local church pastors now. and are, Is there a, just a few principles that they can grab onto that will, generally speaking, help guard themselves and their church against just the next thing that's going to come at them? Yeah, I, it goes back to the same thing over and over, especially in my book reviews is uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. Is the Bible sufficient or isn't it? Do we need to add something else to the Scriptures to understand ourselves, understand God, understand life, understand our mission? Uh, or, or, uh, or is the Bible truly sufficient in that area? So I find pretty much the same trend over and over and over. The, even in good books and in good, in good movements, they would often that you go a certain distance in the right direction, then you start adding layers of other stuff, whatever that might be. And those layers are the parts that draw us astray from our mission and our message. So I keep going back to the same thing. What is the, how, how do we critique these things biblically? Is this coming from Scripture? Is, is this truly what the Bible teaches? So if we use that as our grid and we take all these things through the grid of Scripture, uh, then we, we can get a pretty good insight of most things pretty quickly because it's, it's making the same errors every time. It's just, just different pictures. Shifting directions a little bit here as uh, 
tomorrow is, is kind of the last day of the convention here. It's kind of a half, just one seminar in the morning, basically, um, or two seminars. And you're doing one on the Enneagram. Um, a lot of people are getting really, have gotten kind of caught up in the whole Enneagram yeah. movement. And personality. Yeah, yeah, personality tests in general. And here you are doing a, a seminar on it, and you've written about it on your think on these things. And there's some dangers inherent within it. How would you respond to someone who says, well, it's just, it's just a personality test. You know, what, what's the big deal? How would you react to uh, that kind of question? Well, the Enneagram differs from a lot of the other personality things in that it cl- it's claims. It claims to connect us with God. It claims to promote sanctification. Uh, it claims to give us insight so that we can be a better Christian. Um, it, it makes a lot of claims for itself that Scripture makes for itself. So I see that as the big danger. Now, I'd realize that the probably the average person playing around with the Enneagram is more like a parlor game. They're taking the test. They came out of number three. Uh, my buddy came out of five. And they kind of compare notes and they walk away and they're done. Okay, fairly harmless. But if you really get into the books and the movements and, and the, the seminars, they're, they're going much beyond that. And... Uh, and I was pretty much done with the Enneagram a few months ago. I, I'd written an article, didn't want to deal much more with it. Then Todd Wilson came out with a book. I don't know if you guys know Todd Wilson or not, but he's a um, pretty heavy-duty theologian. He's in charge of a, of a movement of pastor theologians. Uh, there's a, they have a, an organization that promotes pastors as theologians. I, I like it. Their book, their original book was good. I think pastors ought to be theologians, not simply uh, people that move things around on the deck, you know. Everybody is a theologian. It's just whether or not you're a good one. Yeah, and they're yeah. promoting good theologians. That's good. Well, but then he comes out with this book on the Enneagram and how you can introduce it to the church, and it kind of blew me away. Here's a guy that knows his stuff. He's not exactly in our camp, uh, but he knows our stu- his stuff. He's a good theologian. He's got his degree from either Oxford or Cambridge over in England. He's smart, mm-hmm. and uh, he's promoting theology. Next thing you know, he's saying, well, that... That's not enough. The Bible's not enough. You need to have the Enneagram to understand how to be a good pastor, to, to, uh, to be able to run a church properly, to promote sanctification. So he writes his whole book. The first two chapters, he basically admits there's nothing in Scripture that supports this. I didn't draw any of this from Scripture, but nevertheless, supposedly it's, it's going to help. So I got back into it a little bit. I'm going to be doing a seminar tomorrow. Uh, and a lot of the older people... Uh, by older 40 <laughs> and above don't even know what this is but the young people are all about it and they understand it so I want to be able to give some insights to keep them from trying to buy into something that's going to supplement scripture and lead a wrong direction because people are taking this and they're building their whole life identity around the results of the Enneagram and they're, it's, it's becoming the guiding star of their life in a lot of ways and yeah, there's a lot of danger a lot of danger in that yeah, again, you're, you're supplanting Scripture with a test uh, by, or, or a bunch of tests. If you really get into it, it's very complicated. It's not just a little test and you come out of three. Uh, there are wings. There are there's, uh, groupings. There's all sorts of stuff, highly technical. And even the, the so-called experts in the movement say, we're just learners. But these learners are guiding people in a direction that they're not even sure where they're going. Yes. Yes. Well, and there's so much new age stuff that's going on now, too. It seems like there's a, a rise in 
new age things like the the age of aquarius type stuff you think of with the 60s you know the dawning of the age of aquarius it seems like there's a rise again today and i think the enneagram's probably tied into a lot of that because everything is just so mystical about it you know there's there's no firm foundation there so anyway well gary gilly thanks for joining us for this conversation again it's think on these things ministries t-o-t-t dot ministries dot org and we'll link to that in the show notes so Thanks for joining us. Thank you.